almost every receptacle is fine, but the second you try to drink water out of a mug, it feels wrong. Like yeah. a cold drink out of a mug feels it so feels wrong. It feels gross, you're right. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, you feel, like it's... Like I'm uncomfortable thinking it's, about it's it. It's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. Absolutely. <laughs> and you're going straight to hell. Oh, ab- yeah, for sure. There's no <laughs> salvation for Mm-mm. you. Absolutely no, like, not. like, you know, in the Ten Commandments, it was like, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not drink cold beverages out of a mug. A mug. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So... There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, it, I, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Um, honestly, yeah. And I'm trying to think of like other things I would typically drink out of a mug. And the only thing that kind of seems okay to do is like maybe cold chocolate milk. But that's a maybe. Are you over here <laughs> drinking cold chocolate milk? Well, how else do you drink chocolate milk? <laughs> oh, chocolate milk. I was uh, thinking hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Um,. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I could see drinking, yeah, cold chocolate milk out of a mug mm-hmm. a little more acceptable. Or like if you have milk for your cookies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. chill. That's chill. That's chill. But water. No. It's gotta. It's gotta have like a certain level of consistency. Yes. And if it's too watery, which water is the most watery thing, yeah, right, out there. <laughs> so I've been told. On the Richter scale of watery <laughs> things. Then it's then you can, it can't. It, yeah, there's yeah. got to be there's a there's a cutoff somewhere. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like that milk has like a little bit of a thicker consistency, versus like mm-hmm. although if you take it t- too far, like smoothie, you're gonna drink a smoothie. But that's the chill factor as well. And there's also the chill factor. Like yeah, so you gotta kind of you have to. <laughs> there's consider. a ratio for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thickness to chillness. Yeah. yeah. These are the real philosophical questions that mm-hmm. I enjoy uh, pondering yes. personally. The things that we will bring to you, <laughs> we will deliver on Remarks Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, my name is Phoebe. And I'm Taylor. And like I just said, this is Remarks Podcast. The one and the only true uh, oh. podcast. Yes, also true. Yeah. It is the only one. Yeah, you can't listen to anything else, actually. No. Like, what are you going to go watch TV? What are you going to do? What, read Turn a book? It off. Gross. Hell no. Yeah, no. Get you that open shit up that podcast app, there's one. Yeah. And it's Remarks. Nice. You try to look up My Favorite Murder, nothing comes up no, because yeah. that doesn't exist. Doesn't, I've ne- do you just make that up off the yeah, top I did. of your head? Because, I did. Yeah, I've this never heard of that. It's not a real podcast. It's not real. Yeah. No other. I mean, we are the only. We are the podcast. We like, are the podcast. The word podcast barely exists because we're the only one. So yeah, and I'm pretty sure you came up with that word. Like I did. Yeah, a year ago. So I, w- I was fishing <laughs> one day, and then my Keurig, I on my backcast, my Keurig pod got stuck onto my hook. Whoa! <laughs> flew out into the water. And I was having a conversation with Taylor at the same time about mm-hmm. like politics, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like my pod just casted, and yeah. I was like, "Oh my yeah. god!" Wait, this conversation, guys, guys, guys. <laughs> what if, what if we created something called a podcast? Yeah. And so, there you go. That's that's origin stories, mm-hmm. and it's true, and it's factually true. Insanely factually true, mm-hmm. like unhingedly true. Unhingedly. Actually. Yeah, that's a word. <laughs> anyway, uh, do you want to make the special announcement now, or are yeah. you going to edge the audience? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's give them what they're wanting, because I feel All like right. we did. We kind of 
we teased it a little. And we've teased it like for a while too, being mm-hmm. like, you're going to have some merch someday. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, guess what, bitches? Today is the fucking day. Well, not today, but two days from now <laughs> is the fucking day. Taylor and I, along with our dearest friend Chris, uh, helped us create art to make fucking stickers. stickers. Uh, And they look so fucking crispy delicious. I literally (laughs) cannot wait. I'm going to put it on my car and my water bottle immediately. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm so fucking excited. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're amazing. And you all are going to want one. You're going to want one. And Phoebe, Mm. say that I was uh, just a a oblivious bystander who happened to listen to remarks at this very moment and was uh, wondering how I could obtain so said sticker. Sure. So, um, because we don't want to deal with, you know, all of that crazy websites charging you extra things, and it's definitely not because we didn't want to figure out how to set up a website to sell (laughs) you things, you can hit us up on our Instagram at Remarks Podcast, send us a cute little DM, even comment on one of our posts. I don't fucking care. Let us know you want a sticker, um, and we will get it to you. And for a certain amount of money that I am saying is <laughs> I'm looking at Taylor with eyeballs. I'm not sh- I think we had decided $1. Okay. Right? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. That sounds fair to me. Yeah. I don't I love I'm pretty I'm pretty positive it was $1. Yeah. So but we will nail it down and let you know. But yeah. I feel like $1 sounds good to me. So anyway, yeah. please hit us up on the Instagram. The stickers are fucking beautiful. I'm going to post some posts. Um, I'll post like an official post on the actual like page. And then I'll like uh, periodically put yeah. story posts to remind post-a-sies. you all. Uh, post-a-sees of these beautiful <laughs> stick-a-sees exactly. that you can put on your pussy if you want. You, you put could. it wherever you want to put it. That would That would be interesting, yeah. But send us a picture. Well, don't of that. Not of that. Yeah, don't do but, that. But, but send us a picture of where you do yes, put your stickers, as long as please. they're not on your genitals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nowhere mild, wildly inappropriate. Although, if you wanted to put two over your nipples like pasties, for sure, send us that picture. That would be pretty. That would be. That would be funny. cool. Yeah. 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 Post it in your Instagram story. Tag us. We will repost you. Yeah. And give you a virtual little kiss. A little, little smooch on the forehead. Um, Absolutely. Also, I know that we have, uh, it's our first time making merch, first batch. So we have a mm-hmm. hundred stickers coming. Yes. So uh, we'll definitely make more if the demand is there. So if for sure. uh, you miss out on this one for some reason, if they no sell fear. like hotcakes, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, And, you know, someday, eventually we will have shirts and shit. That shit's just fucking yeah. expensive, so. We just gotta figure all that jazz out. Yeah. But, stickers. Stickies. Fucking get you some sticks, babe. Yep, yep. All right. good. Anyway. Hell yeah. Do you wanna take it away? Oh, wait. I'll okay. Before we start. Yeah. <sighs> it's back. <laughs> We're Feels back, good. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll start us off. So, since we were in a goofy silly world war ii mood um (laughs) we just wanted to talk about some of like the media that has come out of and inspired by world war ii yeah this is a an art of the revolution episode oh my god i believe yes it is oh well then you heard the nice uh you did depressing intro so (laughs) (laughs) really depressed which honestly fits uh with my story because it's pretty depressing everyone so get ready hey this is gonna be good yeah um, so I took my story 
in a direction of media that was inspired by World War II. Um, and it's maybe not necessarily like completely about World War II, like mm-hmm. outright. Um, but you can tell by watching that it has that inspiration. roots, baby. Mm-hmm. So, Taylor, what um, are some of your favorite Studio Ghibli movies? Oof. Um, well, so, I mean, I like all of them for sure. I mean, who doesn't? But Kiki's Delivery Service, I always feel like, has a very special place mm-hmm. among them. Uh, it's probably one of my favorites. I just think the art in it is I so good. I love it. That's my all-time favorite that for sure. really good. Uh, obviously, Spirited Away is like a classic for yeah, sure Yeah, that's a great well. one. But um, I always get the name wrong. Is it Porco Oso? Oh, Porco Rosso. Rosso, yeah. yeah. That, that one's really good, too. I remember watching that with my mom. Yeah, really that one's crazy. Yeah, that one's well, They're kind all of crazy. A weird, but yeah. <laughs> no, and that one actually, I feel like, was pretty World War II-y as oh, well. Oh, very much, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so I'm talking about Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. Um, so like we were kind of just saying, when you think of the films created by Hayao Miyazaki with Studio Ghibli, we think of these calming, beautifully animated landscapes, fantastical creatures, delightful adventures, and captivating scores. Um, however, as apparent in quite a few of the films, more overt in some than others, there is a dark undercurrent within these beautiful movies. Um, so to tell you about why that happens, I will tell you about Hayao Miyazaki and his life. The man... The myth. Himself. The myth, the legend, the uh, fucking dude. Cool guy. The cool. <laughs> the cool, guy. sick homie. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend of the pod, Hayao friend Miyazaki. Friend of the pod, Hayao Miyazaki, yeah. Hayao, if you're listening, yeah, hit us uh, up. Hit us up. Come on for an episode. <laughs> I don't know what we'll talk I'd about. Lose my mind. That'd be crazy, actually. Yeah. Um, which he is still alive. Yeah, yeah. I think I did know that. I was a little bit worried when I was writing this article, and I was like, wait. Did he die? And I like, I'm not sure, but he is alive. So good, good, <laughs> good stuff. Um, so Hayao Miyazaki had a rough time in his early life. He was born January 5th, 1941 in Tokyo. He began his life at the end of World War II, living through the conclusion of the war and growing up in the aftermath. His childhood memories include many Japanese cities destroyed and left desolated by bombings. When the bombings in Tokyo began, Miyazaki's family was forced to evacuate and relocate to Utsunomiya. The Tokyo bombings began in April of 1942 with an air raid led by the United States over several Japanese cities. This first attack was a small beginning to what would turn into the most devastating bombing of the entire war. These strategized bombings on Tokyo continued over the next few years and built up to Operation Meeting House on March 10, 1945. The United States dropped 1,665 tons of bombs onto Tokyo, destroying... Yeah, it's fucking insane. Like... Yeah. uh, Yeah. Um, This destroyed over 10,000 acres of the city, killed over 100,000 people, and left much of the rest of the population homeless. This is considered the deadliest air raid of World War II, causing more destruction than the bombing of Hiroshima. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah, which that was an atomic bomb. That was an atomic bomb. Yeah. Um, well, and that's wild too because they just dropped it on Tokyo. Like it was just it's civilians. Yeah. They were just oh, like, they were targeting civilian centers. Yeah, that makes sense. Like specifically, <laughs> um, it's like they were trying to go for like the city center, so they wanted to mm-hmm. get like the I don't know fucking capital yeah. building or whatever and all that stuff. Um, but. 
yeah, that's also where all of the civilians lived. So they murdered yeah. a bunch of fucking people. Like, yeah. Good stuff. Um, and it's not like it was even, like, military bases and stuff. I mean, obviously, in Tokyo, there was, like, military things going on but mm-hmm. it's not like they were specifically targeting these military bases they just yeah. flew over top and just dumped a shit ton of bombs yeah and i mean like the idea because i feel like a lot of people and especially back in world war Two, like precision bombing didn't exist exactly and also doesn't exist now yeah. like there's no you're dropping a bomb don't let like, them fool you oh yeah no I've, I've heard multiple people talk about like you you can only be so precise when yeah. you're literally dropping a bomb. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's a bomb. Like even these like drone things yeah. we have now are not. You're you're never gonna like erase ca- like civilian mm-hmm. and innocent casualties and mm-hmm. that shit. So and even like if the actual explosion takes place on like a I don't know specifically military base or something like there's still all that fallout and there's still all of the like yeah. debris and all of that stuff surrounding that like. Is going to destroy other things. Um, So even above that, this event is said to be the most destructive bombing raid in human history. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Which I don't think it's like above. It's specifically like bombing raid. Okay. But anyway, but still, I mean, it's it's fucking catastrophic. Um, So young Miyazaki is ripped from his hometown and replaced in the city of Utsunomiya. But just about a year later, his family is forced to evacuate due to bombings once again. Um, So on July 12th, 1945, over 100 U.S. aircrafts carrying over 802 tons of bombs flew over Utsunomiya and dropped the bombs onto the town center. The main target being the elementary school. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Good. (laughs) Good. Which this was in the middle of the night. So the school was unoccupied, but still like. What kind of psychopath do you have to be to bomb a children's school? Maybe war is not tight. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. Maybe it's (laughs) stupid. War is stupid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To put it it eloquently. Yeah. Um, So this bombing destroyed the metropolitan center of the town and several villages surrounding the city. 608 people were killed. 1,000... Sorry. I typed my number wrong. 1,150 were injured and most of the city was completely destroyed. Again, leaving much of the population homeless. Mm. Um, And once again, Miyazaki's family had to uproot the life that they had built to flee to safety. Um, Another big inspiration for uh, Miyazaki's films was that his father and his uncle owned a company called Miyazaki Airplane. Um, This company made his family pretty affluent mm-hmm. um they were developing rudders for fighter planes well it, it started out just as um an airplane parts company but then when world war ii happened they started yeah. creating rudders for fighter planes in world war ii um and this juxtaposition in miyazaki's life the bombings and the strife of world war ii as well as his father being an active participant in creating materials that helped the war to continue formed who miyazaki is Common things, common themes in Ghibli movies expresses feelings towards war, pacifism, environmentalism, and his particular disdain for the overly powerful weapons that were used in World War II. Um, Miyazaki was for sure a comrade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this guy fucking rocks so bad. So good. 
Um, his thoughts on large industry and companies were that, quote, a company is common property of the people that work there. Yeah. <laughs> Taken straight out of the that's fucking a, communist yeah, manifesto. I was going to say, that's, that's communism if I've ever heard it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think it's interesting because there are, like, I feel like in Studio Ghibli movies, and you might bring this up later, I mm-hmm. suppose, but uh, there's always, like, such vibrant colors, except I feel like when it does come to like factories and machinery like they're always very like dark and muted colors so Mm -hmm. i think yeah you you can definitely just like see it in his movies that like there's a juxtaposition there yeah yeah um yeah and it's like with his beautiful like nature landscapes that he creates and then like you said alongside Mm -hmm. like industry or anything that is like armies or things like that like those two things clash and it was something that even like aside from warfare that was something that he was seeing happening in japan Mm -hmm. with like the with industry really ramping up was like nature getting destroyed in the way for (laughs) these huge businesses and these huge industrial things um yeah so that's definitely like a huge thing that you'll see in these movies too and that's kind of kind of the main theme of princess mononoke yeah pretty much like companies coming in to destroy nature (laughs) to create shitty stuff yeah um, Miyazaki clearly saw corporate greed and heavily criticized it in his films. Many Ghibli films feature an antagonist who is seeking ultimate power or endless riches. The effect that increased industry and the war had had um, on the environment is another common theme in his movies, like I was just saying, with scenes of destroyed towns, polluted rivers, and villains destroying nature for their own prosperity. And perhaps the most obvious parallel to World War II is the massively destructive nuclear-like weapons that the antagonists are desperately trying to harness the power of, and when they do, it leads to devastation of the entire land, usually destroying something sacred or magical. Miyazaki is a known pacifist and has criticized the continued wars throughout the world. This is so fucking sick. Um, he even refused to attend the Oscars in 2003 when he won for Spirited Away in protest of the American invasion of Iraq. Whoa. Yeah. That's heavy. That's yeah. fucking sick, though. Yeah. He, Damn. like, and he openly spoke about, like, yeah. how negatively he felt about pretty much any kind of warfare, but specifically about the way that America yeah. interacted with Iraq. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, I, I, there was a lot of wars, obviously, in his time, but, mm-hmm. like... That one was pretty blatantly just, we want, we want, uh, oil. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And like, especially growing up right at the tail end of World War II, seeing like everything, seeing the conclusion of it basically and what yeah. it had done to the world around him. It's like, stop. You can like, <laughs> fucking stop. Fucking stop. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's like, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a lot of how I feel you know it's i feel like people get so caught up in like the geopolitics of things yeah. too like you don't like ever stop to think like oh also war is just bad because it's bad like exactly you know, like, it's not it's not necessarily about like oh which side is good and right. which side is evil or yep. whatever it's like oh people are dying and like the earth is dying <laughs> yeah like it's which we could even, I mean, take all of, yeah, take all of, like, the politics out of it. Because, frankly, at this point, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like, look at what it's doing <clears throat> to the things around us. Like, look at the people that it's killing and the cities it's destroying. And, like, 
let's just take yeah. that and stop there stop. like <laughs> yeah it's like oof i don't know yeah it's the devastation isn't like which country is going to have power now the devastation mm-hmm. is what we've done to the people in the land around us yeah i mean and i think we're seeing like the effects obviously of industry oh, yeah. and like even in war and everything because our planet's not gonna be inhabitable pretty soon yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean i'm i can't remember the exact statistic but i'm sure you've seen it that it's like beyond any of what like even some corporations like the american military is responsible for like 95 percent of the fucking pollution of our oh, country yeah. or whatever it's it insane. is yeah. like <laughs> it's yeah it's, because if you think about it, i mean it's these massive massive war machines like flying across the world so much fuel like just i mean yeah it's true well yeah and then you think of all the like factories that produce right? all that stuff mm-hmm. and it's and again i mean it's always fucking rich assholes putting profits over because you know, when America's producing military stuff, we're making money and, yep. you know, our economy's good. And it's like, yeah, but we're, we're everything's kind of dying. Yeah, so, exactly. Can we, can we maybe You're stop? You're killing all of us and the, the land that we need to live on. So, so please. Maybe, maybe don't. How Perhaps about that? You ever think? Do not. You ever consider that? <laughs> <laughs> you ever think about that one? <laughs> um, so the Studio Ghibli film that I have watched most recently is Castle in the Sky. Have mm-hmm. you seen that one? Um, I feel like it was a long time ago. I yeah. do not remember much of it. Yeah. Um, and while I was watching this, the parallels to World War Two were glaringly obvious to me. Um, so I'll kind of break down the plot for you so that I don't do a three hour dissertation on the pod. Perfect. <laughs> um, so it's about a young girl named Shida. She is kidnapped by a very white and American looking group of agents in suits and shit. Nice. Is, okay. Um, and they are after a magical crystal necklace that she has, um, that has great power. And Sheeta is one of the only people that can kind of activate this necklace to Mm. make it give off the power that it has. Yeah. Basically. Um, several different groups are after this necklace. There's a group of ragtag pirates who are the comedic relief for sure. Um, (laughs) these agents that have her and the army. Shida escapes the airship where the agents are keeping her, and she teams up with a young boy named Patsu. They plan to travel to the castle in the sky, which is later revealed to be Shida's birthplace. It's on a floating island called Laputa, the castle in the sky. Um, ooh, I clicked off of my notes. I'm back. <laughs> there it is. Um, and there's a large and powerful weapon on Laputa that can be activated with Shida's crystals. Um, The three groups race to Laputa and eventually Muska, who is the agent who had Sheeta kidnapped in the beginning of the movie, uses the crystal necklace to activate the weapon on Laputa. And in a devastating explosion, this weapon nearly destroys the entire island and much of the land below, including destroying Muska's own airship and his own uh, team. Yeah, so he fucked himself over too. Yes. Piece of shit. I know. (laughs) Douche. Um, this weapon and the race to harness its power is a clear allusion to the nuclear arms race and the island destroying, the island destroying weapon, a nuclear bomb. Yeah, for sure. Um, and even the way, like how it looks in the movie is reminiscent of a nuclear bomb. Big old bomb. (laughs) Big old bomb. Large bomb. (laughs) Um, there are other ties to World War II, such as the small struggling mining town that Patsu lives in. Uh, it's 
very similar to how things were going in Japan at the time with their mining towns as well. And just as like any kind of smaller town at the time of World War II who yeah. was giving resources to the war, struggling to like make their own lives work. Um, yeah. The army and their pursuit of an enormously powerful weapon and the destruction they cause along the way to attain it. Um, and I would even say that the way that Sheeta is held, she's held in this airship at the beginning of the movie and then she's kidnapped again. Um, I would say is perhaps reminiscent of a prisoner of war, possibly. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what else is a floating castle in the sky with a weapon of mass destruction that you need a magical crystal to activate and then blow up your own army and then also blow up an entire magical island and kidnap a little girl? What? Hopefully <laughs> not the ad that supports this podcast. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Beautiful. Um, ads. Um, we're back. We're just talking about how, um, pineapple on barbecue pizza yes is a different like it's it's uh it's next level it's built different mm-hmm. it's um goaded with the sauce as absolutely I say. Yeah. yeah yeah like pineapple on like ham and cheese pizza no 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 it's the, the tomato wrong. sauce and the pineapple doesn't complement no each other exactly in the slightest because the barbecue sauce has a, a little bit of like a sweetness to it yeah, and a tang that, that marries with yeah. the pineapple yeah. it's like a luau in your mouth absolutely it's really good. Yeah. yeah it's amazing so good mm-hmm a little bit of cheese, a little bit of cilantro. Cilantro is good on there. Um, Some vegan chicken. Vegan chicken also fucks. Uh, yeah. I personally like jalapenos. Not everybody likes the spice. But I get it. I, I'm not a spice person, but I understand how that yeah, would be delicious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, try it at home yeah. if you haven't. Um, Some red onions on there. Yeah. Grilled red yeah. onions. I'm not really an onion fan, but. Oh, you're not. I, I respect it. I respect <laughs> I respect the onion game. I respect your jalapeno game. You respect my <coughs> onion game. It's a shame. I mean, I understand why you don't. But fuck, onions are so good. I eat just raw onion. That's sometimes. insane. Actually. Not like I'm not gonna like <laughs> bite into an onion. Yeah. Whole style, but like. <laughs> but I do like if I'm chopping an onion, I will yeah. like snack on some little raw onion pieces. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even dream of that. So. <laughs> I re- I, again, I respect the onion hustle. You would nightmare hustle. about that. I would nightmare about that. <laughs> I respect the onion hustle, but I, I can't uh, say that I am one of the onioners. That's fair. An onioner, if you will. <clears throat> An onioner, yeah. Yeah. We could make that a tier of our Patreons. <laughs> the onioners. The onioners. We'll send you raw onions every month. <laughs> yeah. Just in, like, loose in an envelope. <laughs> True. You're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Just... Do whatever you want with it. Just it's your raw onion. Mm-hmm. Make of that what That's you will. Probably been in a mail truck for like three days. Yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe don't eat it. But I can't tell you what to do legally. I so. also legally cannot tell you what to do. It's up to you. Side note: One time, um, my sister used to have a pet turtle years and years and years ago. Oh. And then we were getting rid of him on KSL. Yeah. Because she was a child, and turtles are a lot. Yeah. Turns out. Um, and my mom on the listing, by the way, if are for our out of state listeners, 
It's all, it's a Utah thing only, right? KSL? I think so. It's like Utah and Idaho, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, KSL is like a classified like listing place. Yeah, it's kind of like Craigslist, if you've heard of that. But like, like you can sell things. Yeah, but there's definitely no like sexual things on KSL. Yeah, no, it's less <laughs> less like that. But yeah, it's you just, like you just cars sell stuff. and yeah. random shit. Anyway, or turtles even. Um, and in the <laughs> listing, she put like as a cheeky joke, like not to be used for turtle soup, and they. KSL like told her that she couldn't put that in because they're like, once they purchase the turtle, they legally can do whatever they want with it. You're not allowed to tell them what Whoa. they can and can't do with the turtle. <laughs> That's awful though, because then it's like, oh, I guess this person could be making a you turtle. Could be making in the turtle, turtle soup. Apollo. That's awful. Yeah, Apollo. Apollo. Uh, our boy. I know. I hope he lived a, a long and f- prosperous. I hope so too. That. I hope like somebody who like really fucking loved turtles got him. Yeah, turtles are sick. Turtles are cool. Yeah, they're very cool. Water turtles are so neat. I think all turtles are because aren't tur- tortoises the ones that don't go in water? Oh, you might be right. And I think a turtle is the for the water ones is the water term. I think you are correct. Let me check. I'm gonna double check that. But. All right. <laughs> um, should I get talking while you're uh, sure. googling about turtles? Yeah. Um, all right, well, I'll hop back into it, you guys. So, um, one of the other Ghibli movies that definitely has uh, some World War II influences is Howl's Moving Castle. Have you seen oh, that yes, one? I have. Justin and I recently watched that. I need to watch that again. I haven't seen it in a long time. The fucking score for that movie, 10 out of 10. It's so good. Um, so in Howl's Moving Castle, there are two kingdoms engaged in a violent war that really has mm-hmm. no true reasoning behind it. Um, one of the sides even says, like, she's just kind of in war because there's war. There's war to yeah. be had. <laughs> yeah. Did you find out about the turtles? Yeah, I did. Tortoises do spend the majority of their life on land, and turtles do, in fact, are ha- are adapted to live in the water. All right. So I turtles, turtles can also live on land. Right. But can simultaneously be in, in the, the water. water. Is tortoise the desert one then? Or is there desert turtles as well? I don't know. I assume the desert probably doesn't have that much water. Yeah. So, so maybe there is no turtles in the desert. And I would I'm assume mistaken. maybe less turtles in the desert. <laughs> but I don't a know. I'll have, to, I'll have to do a deep dive into yeah, it for you. Yeah, we'll do a turtle episode next week. Don't worry, guys. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Where? the turtles <laughs> but anyway yes how's moving castle yes amazing amazing um so yeah so i was saying there are two kingdoms engaged in a violent war that really has no true reasoning behind it um the one lady basically says she's in war just because mm-hmm. there's war um and although the inspiration for Howl's moving castle was actually miyazaki's disdain for the american invasion of iraq yeah um that's basically why he made the movie uh, there are still many ideas taken from what Miyazaki witnessed in World War II. Howl, one of the main characters, is depressed by the ongoing war and constant violence, and he is seeking a way to end it. The movie shows scenes of beautiful nature being overtaken by weapon... We- fuck. Weapon. Weaponry. It's <laughs> a tough word. Um, and industry. The most obvious allusion to World War II in the movie is the bombings on the two kingdoms, perpetuated on both sides. The large aircrafts that carry the bombs over the cities eerily represent the aircrafts used by the U.S. in World War II, and the images of them releasing their bombs is a per- perfect representation of the bombings that occurred on Tokyo in the 40s. Um, and the kind of both sides thing I definitely does not have to do with um, 
America invading Iraq, but definitely has to do with like what was going on during World War II, where it was just like, this isn't even about anything anymore. It's just everybody's yeah. killing everybody. Yeah, and, and I mean, and I can imagine, like, too, if you're a child, like, you're not going to understand, again, the geopolitics of what is happening, like... Exactly. You're just like, oh, bombs are going off everywhere, yeah. and people Where are trying I to kill each, other, kill each other, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's rough. Yeah. Um, dialogue from Howl's Moving Castle shows Miyazaki's contempt for both the West and the East's participation in World War II. Sophie says, a battleship? How? Still looking for more cities to burn. Sophie, is it the enemies or one of ours? Howell, what difference does it make? Those stupid murderers, we can't just let them fly off with all those bombs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, as clear as it gets there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck, uh, fuck everyone. Fuck everyone. <laughs> fuck war. Fuck militaries. True. The depictions of these burning cities are terrifying and are clearly taken from Miyazaki's childhood experience with the bombings of his own cities. Uh, These firebombing scenes can also be linked to the devastating bombing of Dresden, Germany, the event that is the central plot point of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah. Which I'm reading right now. I have not read that. It's... Is it good? Eh, Yeah. (laughs) It's It's all right. It's all right. It's uh, Slaughterhouse Five is all, all right. right. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't yeah. know. Give it a read, I guess. Um, anyway, <laughs> not to just shit on Kurt Vonnegut. Um, but yeah, and to lightly talk about Dresden, um, it Dresden was again like kind of a civilian area mm. where they just dropped a bunch of bombs because they were like, "Fuck you." Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty senseless. So, yeah. Um, and as I was mentioning before, in Princess Mononoke, one of the main focuses of the film is the destruction of nature by war machines and the development of these machines, um, how humans have pushed into nature to make more room for destruction. Princess Mononoke also shows a struggling mining town trying to rebuild and survive. This town known as Iron Town seems to be inspired by Miyazaki's experience with living in cities trying to rebuild after being destroyed by bombings. Um... And to finish us all off here, um, the most devastating Ghibli film, in my opinion, is Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> Have you seen that one? No, but you've told me about it. It's like really depressing, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Literally every single second of this movie is some of the most depressing shit you've ever <laughs> fucking seen. You just watch it and you're like, well, fuck, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I made the mistake of watching. I watched that. I watched um, Parasite and then I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire oh, all on the same yeah. day one time in quarantine and I was so sad. Oh yeah, those that's like oof. <laughs> triple feature yeah you're getting like the sadness on literally all ends of the like sad spectrum you're getting like like, the sad lesbian mm -hmm. sadness you're getting the the class war sadness yep Yep. and the apparently war sadness war war (laughs) sadness yeah Uh, (laughs) it's sad it's really good but it is so heartbreaking um (laughs) (laughs) will rip you to shreds there's this joke this is a little bit of a tangent but no, I love uh, it. I love it. Uh, there's <laughs> me and uh, a good friend of mine who supports the podcast, Jameson. James, hey, shout uh, out. We, I think we went and saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire in theaters. 
and I was like, oh, so it's just Brokeback Mountain, but with lesbians. <laughs> Oh, and yeah, he I was so this. mad. He was so <laughs> mad. He would he'd get mad at me for like it went on for months. So he was like, I because I'd always be I'd be like, oh yeah, it's just broke back mountain, but with lesbians and like <laughs> I forgot about that. Whole he was yeah. Thing. He was like, it's not, it's not that. And I'm like, kind of, it's kind of that. It's I like mean, Victorian era broke back mountain with lesbians. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar plot points. I can't very, argue with you, you The plot is very similar. It's gay people that can't be together. Yeah. Who, like, have a time where they're alone to be together, and then they don't get to they, be together. And then they don't get to. Yeah. And in, in kind of in Brokeback Mountain, but not really. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, that's true. Because, like, doesn't the one guy live? Yeah, yeah. I don't know the character's name, but he, like, lives on the farm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so it's, I guess, slightly it's pretty, but less. it's still pretty, like... It's very the, upsetting. The vibes are the vibes very are, yeah, similar. Definitely. <laughs> oh, my God. And the... Oh, my God. Spoiler alert. But the ending of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where in the portrait she, like, has her... That book on the yeah. page. I was balling yeah and then and then she's at the fucking uh, opera and it's the song yes the same song yes. and you're like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> also i want whatever armpit drug they had when they fucked oh yeah that they got from like the fire dancing circle yeah yeah that would... it's just armpit poppers i feel like yeah i mean or armpit molly maybe <laughs> yeah no I, I also would like to um try that drug yeah. in minecraft allegedly allegedly <laughs> yes i have never consumed illicit substances no definitely not um although i feel like everybody should start doing just a count of how many times we talk about poppers on the podcast now because it's reaching about the same level as the amount of times we talk about cum on the podcast so. <laughs> popper count <laughs> popper count ding <laughs> So anyway, this really sad fucking movie. Um, <laughs> so this film is not created by Hayao Miyazaki. It is instead written and directed by the Studio Ghibli co-founder, Isao Takahata. Um, where Miyazaki took inspiration from and alluded to World War II, Takahata put its out, puts it out clearly with no holds barred. Uh, warning, do not watch this movie if you like being happy at all. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoy... Um having joy yeah and like in smiling ever. smiling laughing yeah um <laughs> maybe don't don't watch this <laughs> and also spoiler alert for this entire movie because i'm about to give you the whole ass plot Woo. so grave of the fireflies follows the lives of two siblings saita the older brother and setsuko his very young sister they live in kobe japan and struggle to survive during the last few months of world war ii their home is bombed and their mother is severely burned the two children are displaced due to this bombing and move in with a family member they barely know meanwhile their mother is dying in the hospital from her burn wounds and in an absolutely horrifying fucking scene in this movie horrifying it's like on the level of like the colloidal silver woman like i was like shook to my core um they show the mother wrapped in bandages uh bleeding out and decaying in her last moments and i if i'm remembering correctly there's like literally like flies that come out of her it's horrible yeah that's yeah horrible but it's fucking real yeah yeah. i mean that's like the shit that's the shit that's going on at home while like you're off flying in the sky bombing people like people's moms are fucking having dying of third degree burns yeah Anyway, sorry, I don't know why I had to just hammer that. No, it's, 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 it sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so all Saita, Saita and Setsuko have left of their mother and their life before the war, destroyed it all, is her silk kimono and a kin- tin of candies. Um, the family member that Saita and Setsuko are placed with convinces Saita to sell the kimono in exchange for food. <clears throat> um, eventually, the relationship between the guardian and the siblings becomes emotionally and verbally abusive when the guardian gets tired of these kids having trauma, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, Saita, you need to be out there, like, working to get shit. And he's like, I'm 12, or however old he is. I'm a child. <laughs> I'm a literal child, and also my sister's, like, six, and yeah. And we just watched our mom die. <laughs> yeah, like... Uh. <laughs> so in an attempt to protect Setsuko, Saita flees from the home and builds them a new home in the shelter of an abandoned bomb shelter. At night, the siblings catch fireflies and put them in a jar to light the shelter. However, the following morning, Setsuko is beside herself when the fireflies have suffocated and died. The title of the movie is born when Setsuko buries the fireflies in a small grave. Overtaken by the accidental death of these bugs, Setsuko begins processing her own mother's death and is hysterical, asking why did the fireflies have to die and why did her mother have to die? Uh, it, you cry a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Lots <laughs> of tears. It's uh, sad. Real kind sad. of uh, not happy not cash money (laughs) (laughs) so saita continually steals from farmers around him as the war rages on desperately trying to feed his sister and sometimes himself uh going out when air raids are happening taking advantage of the chaos and stealing food from these farmers and shops around him which is just real nice that like this poor kid has to be like cool they're bombing now is the time for me to steal food food wow fuck So all the while, Setsuko grows sicker and sicker, slowly dying of malnutrition. Cut off from the outside world, save for when he enters the town to steal food, Saita and Setsuko are completely unaware of what is happening with the war. As a final act of survival, Saita withdraws the last amount of money from his mother's bank account in order to try to obtain food with some nutritional value for Setsuko, who has been subsisting mostly off of small scraps of food and candies from the tin they had had from their previous life, one of the only joys she has. It's when Saita is getting the food for Setsuko that he learns that the Japanese have surrendered and that their navy has been decimated, the navy his father was a part of. Saita and Setsuko are truly orphans now, and any hope of a life where they would be cared for is gone. So literally in his, like, last desperate moments, he takes out the minimal last amount of money that they have to trade it for food, and then learns, like, it's over now. And your dad's probably dead. And your dad is dead. Like, so you've you've given everything you had, and it's over now. And you have nothing. <laughs> Damn. It's rough. It gets worse. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry. It gets Don't way worry. worse. It gets super So worse. much more depressing. So Saita comes back to Setsuko with the food, but Setsuko is nearly dead. As Saita frantically prepares the food for her, she passes away from malnutrition. Saita cremates her and puts her ashes in the candy tin to carry with him until he dies shortly after in a train station of starvation. Wow. The end. <laughs> Ooh. Real ray of sunshine this episode is, baby. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Oh my god, wow. it's so sad. There's like kind of a nice moment at the end where like so he dies and then this soldier 
um, like sees him at the train station and kind of goes, goes through his pockets, finds a picture of his presumably dead dad, finds this tin and then like throws the tin out and it goes out into this field and like Setsuko's ashes spill out onto this f- field and then like a magical thing happens with the fireflies and then like her soul that is like among the lights of the fireflies like flies up and finds his soul and they like f- whatever. Yeah. But it's like kind maybe sort of nice but also not. But also you had to watch yeah. all that happen. Yeah. So. so now you're just Damn. really, really, really sad. Yeah. Phoebe was sad, so now all of you yeah, now all <laughs> get of you to be sad. Get to experience this horribly, horribly <laughs> depressing movie. Um, Grave of the Fireflies doesn't show much of the actual war. The scenes of bombings are few, um, but the true devastation of the film is the fallout from the war. The agonizing deaths from the burns of firebombings, the starvation of civilians who have been displaced, the effect of the war on children and families. Grave of the Fireflies is a very real look um and sorry god damn it i kept typing things wrong this time grave of the fireflies is a very real look at the off the battlefield devastation of wars the parts that you maybe don't think about how food becomes scarce how cities being bombed forces populations into cities that are not equipped to handle the new citizens the movie shows the real outcome of wars none of the grandiose battles or heroic war acts but Simply the effect that constant death, scarcity of resources, and life-altering bombings has on a country's people, regardless of which side you're on. Yeah. Finn. Finn. That's that's, that's facts. True. That's war, baby. Well, after all that, um, (laughs) have some ads, baby. (laughs) Ooh. I'm just kidding. I don't think there's going to be an ad here, but, but uh, take a sec to yeah, recoup take a if you so need. Break skis. We're going to take a little break skis. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to come back and uh, say some not as depressing things. Oh, good. So that's good. Good. I was wondering how <laughs> yeah. sad yours was. Well, well good. Not nearly that sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway. Ads. Ads. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're back. We're talking about and Taylor's hair routine. Yeah, I got uh, I got some curly some curly hair. Beautifully, beautifully curly. Thank you. Yeah. It does curl pretty nicely. It does <laughs> pretty nicely. <laughs> nicely. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I'm talking about World War II films as well in a little bit of a different context. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna be a little reminiscent of our last Art of the Revolution episode. But um, I'm taking a, a look at how Hollywood and films were used as World War II propaganda mm-hmm. specifically. So it's kind of the same as we did last time, but a little bit different. So I think it's deal great. with it. Deal with it. What? It, yeah. I'm all. What did we do last time? <laughs> it was propaganda. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was Cold War propaganda. That's true. That's so true. This it's is a little different. different. So the U.S. Office of War had a specific unit to dedicated to hollywood called the bureau of motion pictures i hate that <laughs> which i was really hate that <laughs> set up by the roosevelt administration to propagandize to americans about the war yeah between 1942 and 1945 that bureau reviewed 1652 scripts revising or discarding anything that made the u.s military look bad or held some kind of anti-war messaging. Oh, God. Uh, so all the movies that Phoebe talked about could not have been released uh, here. 
yeah at that time yeah for sure <laughs> fucking god damn it america <laughs> Uh, it was said by Tanner Mirless, a professor at the Ontario Tech University, that the head of the Office of War at the time, named Elmer Davis, stated this. The easiest way to inject a propaganda idea into most people's minds is to let it go through the medium of an entertainment picture when they do not realize they are being propagandized. Yeah, exactly. Pretty on, uh, pretty, pretty... <laughs> right on right on target there oh <laughs> uh, yeah um, i hate it i sorry to interject no, but I, I was it's having a conversation it's your job <laughs> i was having a conversation with this guy at the vape shop who's from iraq and he was like saying exactly that like just that's how like people in america have come to see iraq and like the war in iraq yeah. and especially osama bin laden like was through american media through hollywood yeah no for sure and i mean and i don't think you realize too that like your a lot of your worldview is probably shaped by the media you consume more so than you probably think it is absolutely you know yeah like i I don't know yeah just if you're watching movies and reading things and whatever else you're doing about how we're the best all the time mm-hmm. you're probably gonna think that <laughs> right exactly i mean similar to how you and i like we listen to stuff about how we're not the very best. much <laughs> the worst <laughs> exactly and, and i'm like we are the worst wow we actually are kind of terrible suck. <laughs> uh the push towards film being used as a way to sell the military and its actions to the american people would have reverberating consequences that still plague us to this very day mm. however We'll be doing a separate episode on that soon enough, so stay patient, my children. Get ready, you thirsty bitches. <laughs> you thirsty hoes. <laughs> uh, I'm not good at uh, talking dirty to the audience, unfortunately. That's where I come in. Yeah, you you have you have always been the uh, the the dirt the, the, the dirty talk uh, one. It's because I'm the dom daddy. You are the dom daddy of the, well, of everything. Of the world, Yeah, of the world, really, but especially (laughs) of the podcast. (laughs) Um, This article I was reading pointed out that the power of actually going to the movie theater was big at that time. Mm. In the 1940s, there was about 90 million people going to the movie theater every single week, which held the perfect place to begin indoctrinating people into the cult of the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. Having a shared communal experience of emotions was huge in the yeah. societal programming of mindlessly supporting the military. Totally. If you're in a group of people uh, that all have kind of the same emotional response to something, I feel like it's much harder to criticize that thing when everyone around you is also supporting it. You know? Right. No, that's so true. Yeah. It's something I had never really thought about, but that was yeah. like huge, you know, cause obviously you couldn't like watch movies at your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially too, I think if you are younger, you're mm-hmm. like looking around seeing like the emotions that are being elicited yeah. and it's like, Oh, this is like sad or this, this is, is like good or mm-hmm. whatever. And so you just kind of match that or like form your opinion to be that. Yeah. Definitely. Or even if you're, I mean, like you said, yeah, even if you're not younger, like you're looking around like, oh, everybody's like reacting this way. Mm-hmm. I'm also reacting this way. This is, the, the, I'm normal. It's hard <laughs> to be like happy in a room full of sad people or critical in a room full of like people feeling victorious. Yeah. Like doubtlessly fucking mm-hmm. supportive people. 
yeah, America was no longer a safe place that was invincible against terrible things that happened elsewhere in the world. With Pearl Harbor began being on America's doorstep, it shattered the security that many citizens felt. And uh, to fight this feeling, the U.S. had to make the U.S. military seem as though it was the best in the world, mm. could never do anything wrong, and was like larger than life, kind right. of. Right, yeah. Which, I mean, I don't think that it's like justified by any means. But yeah. again, I guess I understand like the thought process behind it. Because sure. even though Hawaii wasn't technically a state at the time, uh, I mean, Pearl Harbor was like kind of a big, it's still kind of a big deal. Like it was right. the fir- first time since the revolution that we've been like attacked on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess other than like the Civil War, but like. Right. Yeah. It just had, it's kind of like unpre- unprecedented, I guess. Or... It was like the 9-11 of the time. Yeah, exactly. So. Except Bush didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe a Bush, mm. you know, Prescott Bush. You never know. You never know. <laughs> um, though it, sorry, though at first it was uh, a little bit of, res- there was a little bit of resistance to the military censorship of Hollywood movies. Most of the industry would realize that as patriotism, patriotism grew, depicting the military in a positive way would also bring huge profits to the industry. Mm. Um, as people wanted to see how America was winning at everything. <laughs> yeah. So with the profit motive, Hollywood was all too eager to cooperate with the censorship. So not, and I mean, and, and again, like you can tie it to now too. Like there's not many, uh, you know, movies coming out about how bad yeah. the military is. No, you it's know? true. It's true. <laughs> like I even think of like action movies that aren't necessarily like, like Transformers. <laughs> right. No. And I mean, that's the yeah. thing is like, and that's another thing that we definitely will like talk about in Mm -hmm. future episode is like these movies that are literally not even about the military have the military in this positive light yeah for sure and it's not and it's always again like the u.s military it's not like uh, other militaries around the world or whatever kurdistan or something (laughs) exactly Uh, Movies during this time never portrayed the realities of America during the Second World War, opting to just show us that as the good guys that are fighting the evil Nazi bad guys. Uh, And please don't get me wrong. Nazis are evil bad guys. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) But, um, you know, as with everything, life isn't as black and white as that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's no talk of like the U.S. Japanese internment camps or the devastation of dropping the atomic bomb. Um, or even like really at the time there was no like later on we got movies that are more like historical movies about it but there was really nothing like that was diving deep into like the reasoning or you know the effects of the holocaust or anything like that. right yeah yeah and again i feel like later on like schindler's list and you know movies would come out totally kind of showing those those things but yeah uh, definitely during the time there was nothing like yeah. that, that was being it's put just out. like pro-american military we're mm-hmm. doing good things don't worry about anything else yeah, don't this worry is about all you need to all think about this. yeah <laughs> no for sure we got you it's all good um producers and directors were told specifically by the roosevelt administration at that time to ask themselves will this picture help us win the war was like the question that they were <laughs> asked like uh, they like it was very obvious wow like, <laughs> which also i think it's like think about what will a movie help us win yeah. the war 
baby. Yeah, it, it's definitely kind of wild. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Just that they were so open and blatant about like, yeah, no, we're definitely like we're we're propagandizing. Yeah, everybody. Like, we're this, using this to brainwash that's, people. <laughs> that's how it be. That's how it be, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um. So movie theaters weren't just showing propaganda films either. They were fully saturated in the war effort. Many theaters would sell war bonds and give out free seats to anybody who bought them. Oh, my God. As well as have bins for scrap metal outside of the theater to collect and donate to the effort. Wow. So, like, they were, like, it was, like, theaters. It was fucking production companies. Like, yeah. I didn't realize, like, it was, they were all in on this right. fucking shit. Um. Well, and I mean, it's yeah. true. Like, when you look at, like, stories and art and things like that from that time, it is all, like, support the troops. And exactly, rah, rah, rah. yeah. And yeah, and we'll, and we'll get to that. Um, again, World War II is kind of a tricky war to cover because I think, like, largely it was a war that the U.S. did the correct thing in right. by stopping the Nazis. Uh, but, as I stated before, this led to, like, a long, slippery slope of war propaganda that continues today. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. again, it's it's one of those things. It's like, I don't, again, I, I don't necessarily think that, like, the war itself was bad. But right. the propaganda around it probably wasn't good. Totally. You know? <laughs> well, and I think there's nuance, too. Like, like what we did to mm-hmm. the Japanese people and, like, what we did with just dropping bombs, even, you know, not even just in Japan, yeah. but all over. Like... It's like, yeah, we Nazis don't need to be doing what they're doing, <laughs> and we should bad. not let the Nazis bad, and we should not let them do that. But also, like everything else that we did along mm-hmm. the way was not okay, and yeah. should not have been portrayed as like fully okay. Oh yeah, for sure, and especially like again, we like we were talking about like we kind of bombed a lot of civilians in in <laughs> Japan, like. Yeah. <laughs> We and really they didn't have any did. fucking like decision making in the war. Like they right. were just civilian Japanese people. Like exactly. Yeah. Um. So on the screen, audiences were shown combat and uh, some of the most gruesome images that were able to be shown at the time. Mm. Um. But also and mainly, the cartoons of the age held a heavy role in convincing the public that supporting the war was sick and cool. <laughs> <laughs> um. Most of the iconic cartoon characters of the time became pro-war effort, uh, from the Looney Tunes to Disney, comic book characters, and of course, the man who would punch all the bad guys, Popeye the Sailor. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, and even, like, just Popeye the Sailor, like, eating his spinach and beating up whatever (laughs) the fuck, I don't know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's marketed to children. Yeah, no, and and I think they fully knew what they were doing. Absolutely marketing to kids and you know kids and then teenagers and Mm -hmm. you know and again we'll get more into it but like yeah just the the support and and again and i'm sure you know parents watch those things too especially when they used to play them at movie theaters Mm -hmm. and stuff so it's like yeah it was but they definitely were going for the the kids yeah um where was i (laughs) Uh, so also in animation, they could depict images and ideas that weren't able to be seen in just straight combat footage. Mm-hmm. So this is where you come in, like it comes in, like, you know, they could make the Japanese look however they wanted and mm. they could make them turn into pigs and stuff, which was a thing that they did. Mm. Uh, and this one, I, I guess I'm not too as mad about, but they could make Hitler look like, uh, you know, an insane <laughs> man or like have him turn into a vulture or whatever. Uh. 
And again, like, I don't, if you want to, like, portray Hitler in a dumb way, like, good, fuck Hitler. <laughs> Go for you it, can, but. You, he has that coming, but when you start to characterize an entire nation right. uh, with racist political cartoons, it's probably yeah. not good, you know? <laughs> it's maybe exactly how the Holocaust happened. It's... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very, yeah, yeah, no, you're... <laughs> Oh shit! You're absolutely correct, dude. That's what's funny. The yeah, like <laughs> the, uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion mm-hmm. is just like a giant racist cartoon. Like yeah, well, and you can look at like the art that they were making, like political cartoons and yeah. shit at the time, and it's very like racist images of Jewish mm-hmm. people. Yeah, yeah. Um. So unlike German propaganda that would show mainly pro Hitler and pro Nazi films, uh, American propaganda was more subtle which they perfected the art of, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, probably why it was so effective. Showing people of all ages, children, teenagers, and adults, helping with the war effort, supporting the troops back at home, uh, doubtlessly wormed its way into the mind of Americans. Uh, and especially, too, because like we had like the draft going on, and I feel like they very much played it like, oh, if you're not doing this, then you're not supporting, like, these people like these men that have gone over there and are giving their lives you know exactly like it almost like they tied criticism in with like you want these people to die exactly for no reason yes and And i mean that's how it still is that is how it still is yeah oh yeah no for sure you can't say anything critical about the military without being like well the 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 service that they the the Mm -hmm. service and it's like whoa like you have no idea what it's like and they're laying (laughs) down their life for your freedoms (laughs) which it's like first of all no they're really not especially not at this point yeah and second of all like just because i criticize what the american military is doing doesn't mean that i want every single soldier I fucking hate them and they should die yeah. in a horrible way. Like, no, I'm saying we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. Exactly. As exactly. a nation. No, yeah. And I feel like it really starts here where mm-hmm. they're like, yeah. And especially because so many people had family members that were, that like had to go over. Yeah. There. It wasn't yeah. even like a choice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone who is super influential in creating a lot of military propaganda films was our old friend, uh, John Wayne. We talked about him, I think, a little bit in the last Art of the Revolution episode. Yeah. Uh, So Jonathan Wayne (laughs) (laughs) never actually saw combat, which I think is fucking hilarious for somebody who made so many goddamn movies about it. Like, it's like, it's just that, like, tough guy action movie thing where it's like, okay, you're, like, in all these action movies, but, like, you've never been in a fight. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. um, But, yeah, some of the movies he did included uh, Operation Pacific. The Sea Chase, Reunion in France, Flying Tigers, Flying Leathernecks, The Longest Day, and many more. Jeez. <laughs> like, that's just a, a brief list. And obviously one of them had, like, almost the same title, The Flying yeah. Tigers and The Flying Leathernecks. Like, he was cranking out these World yeah. War II movies, baby. Um, Other movies from the same time included, uh, we had one that was called War Comes to America. Which was a 1945 film uh, showing why the Axis powers' aggression turned America away from isolationism, mm-hmm. um, which is true. Like it was, uh, you know, America wasn't involved in the war until later on, mm-hmm. and you know, arguably, understandably in a way. But you know, again, like Germany was kind of trying to like do. Uh, 
imperialism on <laughs> other nations in Europe. Yeah. So kind of weird, but yeah. And that one actually was barely released before the war ended in 1945. Um, another one that was also released in 1945 was a film commissioned by the U.S. War Department that told, uh, or that was called Know Your Enemy, colon, Japan. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, it Which told, also, sorry, I'm interrupting no, you so much this episode. Please, Joe. The fucking War Department should not be able to commission movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Well, and I think, I don't know if I talked about this in the last one, but this is uh, kind of a side note, but like after World War II, the CIA commissioned that Animal Farm be made and they changed the ending of it. They changed the ending of Animal Farm to be (laughs) anti-communist. And they, the CIA commissioned that movie to be made. It's it's insane. Phoebe's rolling right now. I used, wish you all could see my face. <laughs> wow. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, of course, happened after World War II because mm-hmm. at this time we were still uh, pretending to like the Soviet Union. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it, it was the Know Your Enemy, colon, Japan. <laughs> told of japanese society and culture and i feel like you gotta assume that it was probably kind of definitely racist like, oh yeah <laughs> like there's probably no way it wasn't yeah, right <laughs> probably kind of definitely <laughs> like i haven't seen the movie but i just i just have that you know that feeling yeah you know? That, that feeling in the pit of your stomach <laughs> exactly um and then lastly there's a movie called they were expendable 1945 moving star starring jonathan wayne uh that was actually based off of real events uh but was a fictional movie um, I don't know. Just I was looking up a couple of them, and mm-hmm. that was one of them. Another one that Jonathan Wayne was in. <laughs> Old Jonathan and, Wayne. And you know, and I don't necessarily even like. I don't necessarily even think that like recreating like a a battle in World War Two is like disrespectful or anything, right? Uh, but it kind of feels gross to like take a real battle that happened, recreate it, and then like sell it for money. You exactly. Know? Like that feels disrespectful yes no it does <laughs> like to the to the people who actually died in yeah it. Again, like, like people and, were fucking killed and you can have like your opinions on the military and whatnot but it, it then profiting off of yeah like people's death like that that just seems like it would be the thing that a true a true patriot would <laughs> uh be a little upset about yeah but maybe you know pe- true patriots love that shit so <laughs> true patriots maybe are not true patriots <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe uh, maybe they suck maybe they're bad yeah. um but yeah so that's kind of a, a brief history of uh world war ii uh films and how it kind of honestly it kind of kick-started the military entertainment complex completely like, yeah so and that so yeah very interesting period of uh history yeah kind of crazy yeah Yeah, which like you said i mean i i feel like it's if you want to show an accurate battle scene of what happened like reenact in a movie fine you know but yeah don't um don't like aggrandize things and don't profit off of people that fucking lost their lives yeah, and also it's just like, okay, you're going to show, like, these battles where, like, America did these, like, heroic things, mm-hmm. like, you know, d- the D-Day and Normandy and stuff, right. but again, 
how many movies do we have about uh, the Japanese internment camps? Exactly. Or uh, the atomic bomb and the fallout of that? Mm-hmm. None that are made in America. Yep. Exactly. So, like, have your little war movies, but show the nuance. Yeah, show uh, what actually happened. How about? Yep. But they won't because... They don't want us. They don't want us to know. <laughs> this goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way to the top. Literally, like <laughs> literally, literally, does. Yeah, actually does. You can't. Yeah. There's no denying it. They had a <laughs> fucking department and Truly. paid fucking the producers to make Raw Raw America movies. Yeah, no, they they had a whole ass department. God. It's so evil. Yeah, it's uh, not it's, uh, very cool. Rough time. <laughs> Anyway, um, I think that's uh, all we got. Beautiful. And my uh, laptop's going to die soon. Oh, no. Wrap wrap her up. Um, Well, you guys, uh, if you would like to check out photos tied to this episode, you can go on our Instagram at Remarks Podcast. And also keep your beautiful little eyes peeled for those stickers because I'm going to be posting them. We get them on Wednesday. Stickowskis. Jeremy Shev to Love You and Love You Stick. Yeah, so we get them on Wednesday, two days from today, and I will post them and you can purchase them because they are sexy and amazing. You can also check out our TikTok of the same handle at Remarks Podcast. Taylor, go! <laughs> Uh, so on Twitter, it is at Remarks Pod. You can tweet at me and I will definitely respond. Uh, and then also I have a YouTube channel called The Lefty Agenda. You can also leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Please. And thank you to our patrons. We have Andrew Vass. We have Emily Doran. We have Jameson Cherry. did it backwards. I'm sorry. We have <laughs> Justin okay. Vass. Woo! Justin Vass. Woo! Thank you, patrons. We love Thank you all. Thank you so all. much. We love so you. Much. Um, if y'all want to subscribe to our Patreon, go ahead and do Please, that. Yeah, because that would be cool. We'd appreciate appreciate a lot. We would appreciate it, and we have some very funny bonus episodes on there. The last yeah. one, I was cracking my ass off. They were, they were, we're kind of uh, hilarious, actually. <laughs> so, so cool. anyway, thanks for listening, and K, K- love, love you. you. Bye. bye.